with their backs against the wall, the Seahawks stepped up to the challenge today, knocking the Jets out of the playoffs and keeping their own playoff hopes alive with a 23-6 victory over the Jets. I'm going to be breaking down all the key storylines coming out of today's win, plus handing out my game balls and playing some three up, three down on our latest Locked On Seahawks postcast. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, lead host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. A special thanks to all the 12s out there during the holiday season. First off, a happy new year, and thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's been a while. The Seahawks finally snapping a three-game losing streak, getting back in the win column, and keeping their playoff hopes alive by defeating the Jets 23-6 at Lumen Field on Sunday. I'm going to be breaking down all the key storylines coming out of today's win that keeps the Seahawks very much in the playoff hunt with one game left to play, plus game balls and three up, three down. Probably a lot more positives this week coming out of a victory, something the Seahawks haven't had too many of in the second half of the season. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now fairly story here on this weekly postcast of the Locked on Seahawks podcast. The Seahawks are very much alive in the playoff race, and while they don't control their own destiny, they're one of three teams left in the running for the final wild card in the NFC thanks to a 23-6 victory over the Jets on Sunday. It was a commanding win from the start all the way to the very end. Daryl Taylor ending the game emphatically with a strip sack on Mike White. A dominant defensive performance, but really I think the key to this game, as I mentioned, the Seahawks were able to control this game from the outset, and that was primarily with their run game. Kudos to Ken Walker III and the offensive line in front of him. This is something that Pete Carroll talked about all week, and it was one of the positives. Even though they lost to Kansas City last Saturday on Christmas Eve, they ran the football well in the second half in that game, and they were able to carry that over against a much better Jets defense. This is a team that was in the top five in the NFL in scoring. They were in the top five for fewest rushing yards. They were in the top five for lowest yards per carry. I mean, this is a stout Jets defense from front to back. And yet the Seahawks came right out and they sent an early message with a 60-yard run by Ken Walker III on the very first play from scrimmage. Had a couple of nice blocks that sprung him, huge crease, and then just a massive hole for him to run through. And if not for being tripped up inside the 15-yard line, he might have made a house call on the first play from scrimmage for the Seahawks, and they really never looked back. Didn't have any other big runs the rest of the game, but Walker had 95 rushing yards at the half, finished with 133 yards on the game, and they were able to get some good runs from DJ Dallas as well. Had a little bit of thunder and lightning going, Walker showing off the elite athleticism, explosiveness, DJ Dallas punishing Jets defenders with hard downhill runs. So those two were really able to complement one another, and Last couple games, 49ers lost, the Chiefs lost. The Seahawks offense was not able to get untracked in the first half. They came out and they were a three and out machine. They were creating turnovers. Even the Panthers game came out really rough as well. So the first half has been a real struggle for the Seahawks. Really in the second half of this season, they haven't had many games where they've gotten off to a fast start in offense. But to go out and score three consecutive possessions, get two touchdowns on those three drives build an early 17 to three lead. This is not a juggernaut offense for the jets. Even with Mike white returning as their starter this week, 
at that point, even though it was only a 14-point game, that felt like an insurmountable lead, especially considering how well the Seahawks' defense played. And that's really the other key storyline here. One, the offense comes out red hot. They didn't play great in the second half, but they didn't need to because the 17 quick points was more than enough to win this football game with the way that the defense was playing. And just some numbers to throw out there. Mike White, this week, I was joking about it a little bit because I do think Mike White is a good quarterback, but he was kind of being viewed as Joe Namath in his prime. He's coming riding in for the Jets on a white horse. He's going to save the day and keep this football team in the playoff race. The Seahawks made sure that didn't happen in this football game. They limit him to a 50% completion rate. They had great play at all three levels of the defense, even after losing Jordan Brooks to an injury that looks like it's probably going to be season ending. We don't have an update on that at this point, but it certainly did not look good with him being taken off on a medical card after clutching his knee. Nonetheless, the Seahawks played great at all three levels of the defense. They were able to hold the Jets to just four third down conversions on 13 attempts. That's been a major problem for the defense. And Mike White threw two really ugly interceptions as well. Quandre Diggs getting a pick early the Jets first possession the Seahawks come down and then get a field goal off that is 10 nothing real quick and Mike Jackson in the fourth quarter one of the plays that really put the dagger in the Jets even though the outcome already seemed decided that really slammed the door shut on the Jets having any chance of getting back in this football game so both those guys getting picks really at the end of the day what drove this defense though was the play of the front line and this is this has been a maligned group for most of the season, in particular, losing five of their last six games. The pass rush has been very hit and miss at best. We know the run defense issues. They're well-documented. Trouble with run fits up front, giving up explosives. And out of the gate in this game, the Jets looked like they were going to be able to do what a lot of other teams had done in the last month and a half, and that they were going to have a ton of success running the football. They had almost 60 rushing yards on the first two possessions in this game. But kudos to the Seahawks for making adjustments because – from the second quarter on, Seattle gave up just 19 rushing yards. And in the second half, they gave up negative one rushing yards to the Jets. They truly made New York one-dimensional. And that put Mike White in a position where he was getting battered to a pulp by a very feisty pass rush. Daryl Taylor finally playing to the level that we expected that he was going to play in his third season for the team. He's now got a career-high seven-and-a-half sacks, had two-and-a-half of them today. There were a couple big plays rushing off the edge that were really game changers. Quentin Jefferson, Uchenna Wosu and company, everybody was getting involved. Ten quarterback hits on White, and there were a number of other plays where they might not have got a hit on him, but they were able to pressure him. And even when he wasn't getting pressured, he was playing like Sam Darnold described it a few years ago when he was the Jets quarterback he was playing as if ghosts were rushing after him. You could tell that the pressure was getting to him. He was playing with happy feet. He wasn't getting his feet set, and he was much more inaccurate than what we're used to seeing. So the defense, to me, is maybe the biggest story coming out of this game, although I was surprised to see Seattle have as much success on offense as they did right out of the gate and then kind of fall a little bit back in the second half. They were unable to finish drives, but again, I thought if they could get to 20, 23 points in this game, they'd have a pretty good chance to win, given the Jets' offensive struggles. And that's how it played out, the Seahawks holding them to just six points, no visits to the end zone, and shutting them out in the final two quarters. That's the kind of dominant performance Pete Carroll needed from his defense to keep their playoff hopes alive. Now, you look towards next week, we're going to have plenty more chances to talk about this in coming days. But as I mentioned earlier, the Seahawks do not control their destiny, even though they won this football game. And that's because the Minnesota Vikings didn't do anything against the Green Bay Packers today at Lambeau Field. A blowout win for the Packers. Green Bay, shockingly, is back at 500 at 8-8. Eight eight. 
and they have a better conference record, so all they need to do is beat the Lions next week, and they are in. The Packers are the team that control their own destiny. But if the Lions can come through with a victory, they'll be pulling for the Seahawks to lose so they can get in the playoffs. But if the Lions win and the Seahawks win, then the Seahawks are in. So they have a little bit of their control as far as whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. They've got to win to close out the season. But the Packers right now are in the driver's seat to make the playoffs, and the games still have to be played. We'll see. The Lions have been as hot as anybody the last month and a half, and maybe they can turn that into a Week 18 road victory at Lambeau. The Seahawks will certainly be hoping that they will and that they can take care of business against the Rams. But they got the first step done today, getting the big win over the New York Jets. Coming up next, I'm going to dish out my weekly game balls on offense, defense, and special teams. We'll get to those coming up next here on our weekly postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. I'm really geeked out about this new partner and sponsor for today's episode. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise, well, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. Like John Schneider, you're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go as you want, when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks, and I'm in the middle of my first season conducting a youth movement. Took over a pretty old team, hoping to get back into contention to beat all the other locked-on hosts as we move forward with our season. It's an absolute blast, and all of our listeners should make their own league and play against one another. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's in all caps in the game store. Again, that's Locked On all caps, so make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com. Again, go to ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to our weekly postcast here on Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have the 12s out there as always listening and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. A happy new year to all of our listeners, whether you are listening in England, Mexico, or you're nearby in Renton. Again, happy holidays to you and your family. Let's get to our game balls. The Seahawks getting a big victory over the New York Jets at home, salvaging their season. It's been trending downward heading into this weekend, losing five of their last six games, but able to stop the bleeding a little bit and mathematically stay in the playoff hunt with a dominant victory. The defense playing as well as we've seen play all year. The Jets certainly helped that cause with some inept quarterback play in this game and didn't run the ball well in the second half. Getting to our game balls, though. On offense, a player that didn't score any touchdowns is going to get the nod today because, really, Ken Walker III set the tone for the Seattle Seahawks in this football game. As I mentioned earlier, coming right out of the gate, and I put DJ Dallas up here instead, Ken Walker coming out of the gate, running the football extremely well, gets the 60-yard run early in the game that really drives the Seahawks' offense. And he ends up finishing with 135 rushing yards, 23 carries, second straight game with over 100 rushing yards. Again, he set the tone for the team coming out, Right off the bat, you could see the explosiveness. And maybe what I was most fascinated by today, or I thought was certainly something that was a good omen for Ken Walker III. When you look at his rookie season, he's now over 1,000 yards, the third rookie to do that in Seahawks history. He's joined elite company, Kurt Warner obviously being one of the others as well. But 
he's had a fantastic season, and yet there have been clear areas that he needs to improve, most notably being decisive getting downhill. He's such a patient runner to a fault, and he gets a little bounce happy sometimes because he is an elite athlete. And he has the ability more times than not to get around defenders and get to the sideline and do damage. Now, there have been times where that's backfired on him. What I was most impressed by today, other than a fourth down run that I thought he danced around a little bit too much. It was actually third down and it set up fourth and one and they punted. But he's got to get downhill more on that run. I felt like he could have got the first down. But running between the tackles, I felt like he did a much better, much better job today getting downhill, taking what the defense was giving him and not trying to do too much. And it didn't compensate his explosiveness. You could still see him making guys miss in space. You could see him turn on the Jets to pick up extra yardage. He was running with some power and dragging ball car- or dragging uh, tacklers as a ball carrier a little bit. So I was really impressed by what I saw overall from Ken Walker, the third running the football today. And this is the second straight game that he's been able to get to 23 carries. And I know the Seahawks are trying not to put it, put too much on his plate workload wise with his ankle not being great right now but still he's showing his toughness and he is running the football really well so this is great news for the Seahawks because I think that's been a big part of the reason that they've lost as many games they have in the second half of the season not having that run game that can complement Geno Smith in the passing game that didn't happen today they got the running game that they needed and they were able to win the time possession battle by almost 10 minutes as a result so you can give a lot of credit to Ken Walker the third, and since I already showed his picture, I'm cheating a little bit today because you know you look at what DJ Dallas has done this season. A lot of his contributions have come on special teams. He hasn't been utilized much on the offensive side of the football, but he had a couple of punt returns today. I didn't feel like I thought the special teams was good for the Seahawks, but there wasn't necessarily one player that jumped out that I thought was player of the game worthy. And because of what DJ Dallas did on offense to go with returning a couple of punts, and I thought they were harder yards and a couple of punts they returned for eight yards. So this is my show. This is at my discretion. I'm going to put DJ the he had running the foot catching passes for the Seahawks in this football game. He was running hard between the tackles, seven carries for 41 yards. He was trucking through defenders. He was almost like a bowling ball out there running the ball. It was a really nice thunder and lightning package to go with Ken Walker III. And one of the biggest plays was actually the longest play from scrimmage the Seahawks had in this entire game happened on their third scoring drive, their second touchdown. It was a really good play by Geno Smith. He scrambled up the pocket and then had a little bit of a shovel pass to a wide open DJ Dallas. And he was only a yard or two past the line of scrimmage, but nobody was near him. He turns, he's got nothing but grain in front of him, races 41 yards down to the Jets' seven-yard line. Biggest play from scrimmage that they had. So DJ Dallas came up with some really big plays and another first down on a catch as well showing off that receiver background. I just felt like he came through with a really big game as a secondary runner, and it's something they've been missing since Rashad Penny got hurt. They haven't had that runner that can give Ken Walker a little bit of a breather, and they can still be effective running the ball between the tackles, get some catches out of the backfield, and he provided that for them in this game, a really solid game. So, again, maybe cheating a little bit, making him the special teams player when he didn't really have any big plays in special teams, but he had a fantastic game, led the team with 55 receiving yards in this game, really productive running the football as a compliment to Ken Walker the third. He deserves some recognition because he's come through big in some games for the Seahawks this year, maybe not on offense, but – he deserves some recognition for what he did today in a day where they got 18 yards combined out of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You needed others to step up. 
DJ Dallas, as much as anybody stepped up in this football game, it deserves a game ball for all the little things that he did to help the Seahawks on offense. And on the defensive side of the football, I had a couple of players that I considered for this one with the Seahawks allowing only six points, keeping the Jets out of the end zone. But I've got to give number 52 the love. Two and a half sacks today, the most he's had in a single game. And really, he was a problem for the Jets' offensive line from the outset. Middle of the second quarter, it was one of those plays where it was a hustle play, getting after Mike White, and he and Quentin Jefferson team up for a partial sack. And the Jets were threatening at that point. It was third and 16, but they were in position to potentially score a touchdown there. Daryl Taylor made sure to not allow that to happen, gets to Mike White, and fourth down, they have to kick the field goal. They got to settle for three, and that's what they could do on their two possessions. That was the one possession, actually, that they were in the red zone in the game, and they were able to get a penalty on the Jets, and then they had that big sack, and it pushed them deep into field goal range, and they had to settle for three points. And then later in the half, towards the end of the half, George Fant, former Seahawk, gets absolutely toasted by Daryl Taylor. It, you know, we throw the term shot out like a cannon a lot on this show, and maybe it's become cliche, but that was truly one of those examples where he got off the line of scrimmage so darn fast that it did look like he was shot out of a cannon. And George Fant, by the time that he had worked into a stance, Daryl Taylor was already blowing by him and then turned the corner, gets to Mike White, and gets a strip sack there. Chenanuosu recovers it. Time expires. The Seahawks couldn't get any points off it, but it was a big play. Creates a turnover to end the half. And then to close out the game, Taylor gets to him again, racing after him in pursuit in the final play of the game. It looked like a painful sack. Mike White was down on the ground for a little bit after he was brought down there. But the hustle with Mike White scrambling out to his right for Taylor to come up from behind and then wrap him up, bring him down to the ground. Two and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and also had three quarterback hits in this game, doing what the Seahawks need him to do as a pass rusher. I feel like he's starting to come into his own. He's looking like the player that I thought we were going to see coming out of training camp, and he lost his job. He has found his niche now in that situational rushing role, and he's playing his best ball at the best time for the Seahawks, who absolutely need the pass rush to show up next week against Baker Mayfield and the Rams. Continuing our weekly postcast, going to get to our three up, three down segment, studs and duds, a, a big win for the Seahawks. So might switch things up a little bit. We'll get to those selections coming up next year on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. I failed the first day here of the new year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want the compromise that comes with taste, then we've got the thing for you. you got to try Built Bar. Built Bar is healthy and actually tasty. It's so delicious you won't think it's good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good is, for starters, it's covered in 100% real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors. you got churro, peanut butter brownie, my personal favorite, coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box either. For years, they've been talking about Built Bars going at Built.com. Now you can get them at Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. If you're so close to a Sam's Club, make sure to run and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors as well. Brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. 
All right, you're listening to the weekly Locked On Seahawks postcast. Seahawks getting a big win over the Jets today. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Let's get to our studs and duds, our weekly three up, three down. And I've done this a couple times during the course of the season. The Seahawks have had some wins where I've done the traditional three up, three down. And you could certainly have a few players you could nitpick on this game. But there's so many players on the plus side in a game like this. But you have a commanding win. The defense is playing great. The offense came out hot. Didn't play as well in the second half, obviously. But they did what they needed to do early to set the tone and get the Seahawks in a position to win this football game. So I'm going to actually do three up on both sides of the football so we can have a chance to recognize the players that played really well and helped the Seahawks keep their season alive, keep their playoff hopes alive in Week 17. Let's start on the offensive side of the football. My first game ball is going to go to a cluster of players. The tight end position, Seahawks had a big loss this week. They lost Will Disley for likely the rest of the season. Maybe Disley's available if the Seahawks can make a stunning berth to the NFC Championship game. He would at least be eligible to return to then. But not having their their key leader from that group, the seasoned veteran that has been here in Seattle now for five seasons and such a great run blocker. I thought the Seahawks were going to have a really hard time running the football without him in the lineup, and all of the tight ends stepped up in this game. Colby Parkinson with five receptions, a couple of first down catches, had the first touchdown for the Seahawks in this game on a skinny corner route. Geno Smith gets the football to his 6'7 tight end, and he capitalizes on the opportunity. Tyler Mabry, what a time to have your first career catch. The Seahawks' second touchdown, a seven-yard pass from Geno Smith, goes to Tyler Mabry. He had never caught a pass in the NFL. That changed, and he found the end zone, 100% touchdown percentage. You can't beat that. A fantastic time to make his first catch, and I thought he had a couple nice blocks in the run game when he has opportunities out there to play for the Seahawks. And Noah Fant had a couple of nice catches and was involved in the blocking game as well. So even without Will Disley, I thought the Seahawks did a good job of maximizing using their tight ends against a defense that, as good as the Jets are, that is one weak spot that has hurt them this year. Tight ends have had a lot of success catching the football against them. The Seahawks kept that trend going in this game with both of their touchdown passes from Geno Smith going to tight ends. So kudos to that group, even without Will Disley. It shows off the depth that they've got. Jacob Hollister's on the practice squad if they need him for the season finale. So this is still a very sound group, even if they are missing their glue guy in Will Disley. Second uh, on our three up here, going to stick on the offensive line. And I'm going to say this right now. Stone Forsyth had some rough plays in this game. There was a stretch in this game where I believe it was one possession that Geno Smith got sacked twice, and on both of those plays, Forsyth got beat. And so this is not a perfection-based three-up. But Pete Carroll mentioned it after the game. This this is an, a defensive line that they were facing with the Jets that has Quinn and Williams in the interior. They've got some really good rushers on the outside. Carl Lawson got the better of Stone Forsyth a few times in this game, and yet he kept coming back. You have to remember that this – Kid had played less than 40 snaps on offense in the NFL in his first two seasons going into this game. He had never started a game, and he was going up against a stout defensive front. And I thought he made some nice blocks in the run game to help spring Ken Walker the third and DJ Dallas. I thought when he got beat a few times in the middle of this football game in pass protection that he came right back and tightened things up and did a better job in the second half of protecting Geno Smith. So I thought it was an admirable performance from him. The entire offensive line really stepped up. In fact, I can't remember Quinn and Williams name getting called, which is stunning to me with the year that he has had, but the interior offensive line played 
a lot better. I thought Forsythe responded to some adversity early in this game and in the second half in particular, did a better job in pass protection. So if Abraham Lucas isn't able to get back, they're hoping that he'll be able to play after they rested him this week in the season finale. But if he can't go, they have more reason now to believe with confidence that Stone Forsythe can go out there against the Rams, who are going to be missing some players along their defensive line anyway. They should have plenty of confidence going into that game that Stone Forsythe can get the job done at right tackle. And closing out our three up on offense, Laquan Treadwell only had a handful of catches in this game. But the reason that I'm throwing him on here, I mentioned it earlier, DK Metcalf is held to one catch for three yards in this game. He had a really bad drop on a deep ball that was a perfect throw from Geno Smith in the fourth quarter. It was certainly not DK Metcalf's best game, probably one of the worst games that he's had in the NFL. He and Geno just couldn't get anything going against a really st- a really stellar group of corners, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed and company. Wasn't able to get open, and when he was open, it was a very tight window. Those guys weren't able to connect. Tyler Lockett didn't play in most of this game because of a new leg injury that he suffered. His hand was fine, but He had two catches for 15 yards. You get 18 yards total from your top two receivers. You need others to step up. The tight end stepped up. And Laquan Treadwell had two clutch first down catches in the second half of this game. Geno Smith is continuing to show faith in the former first round pick. He's been getting in the football in high pressure situations. And it didn't work out in Kansas City. But in this game, he had a couple really clutch plays that led to Jason Myers field goals to further extend that lead. And so, He is another player that the Seahawks, Geno Smith in particular, are getting more and more confident in. And if Tyler Lockett's not 100% next week, then they certainly can lean a little bit more on number 18, who is showing as he gains more experience in this offense, gets more opportunities, that he can be a reliable playmaker on the outside. So good for Laquan Treadwell, a player that has bounced around a lot since a failed stint with the Vikings. He's been with, I believe, six different teams now. For him to come out and make some big plays for the Seahawks and help him out with DK Metcalf, not producing and Tyler Lockett being out of most of the game today. That was certainly big for Seattle's offense, having secondary targets like Treadwell come up with big plays down the stretch. Now on defense, this was really tough because, again, the Seahawks held the Jets to just six points in this game, no touchdowns, two field goals, one trip the entire game to the red zone. I could have put five, six, seven players on this list. A lot of guys had really good games. But I'm going to start off with a player that I mentioned a little bit earlier. He was our game ball recipient in Kansas City last week. Quentin Jefferson was the runner-up for it this week. He has really turned it on here late in the season. and He played for the Buffalo Bills a few years ago, so he knows the Jets pretty darn well. Played against these guys two seasons ago, got two games against them. So there's some experience there, even though the Jets have had a lot of turnover the last few seasons. He knows them pretty well. But this is the second straight game that he had at least three pressures on a quarterback, gets one and a half sacks. And I saw him show up on a few run plays in this game as well. So Quentin Jefferson, Q. Jeff, is doing a fantastic job being disruptive up front. And I thought he had kind of a rough first half of the season. But while the rest of the defense has had their struggles, he's been really good the last month of the season here. And he's given the Seahawks a lift with the injuries they've had at the defensive tackle position. He's provided that jolt rushing the passer from the interior that they desperately needed. Seeing him and Daryl Taylor get after it today, that was a lot of fun. And they're doing it on the same side of the ball a lot of the time, too. So a lot of times defensive tackles and your pass rushers can feed off each other a little bit. And we're seeing those two do it in action these last couple games. It's an exciting development for the Seahawks heading into their season finale. And then in the secondary, I'm going to give some love to two players at corner and safety, Mike Jackson 
his first interception today as a Seattle Seahawk. And I think this is a guy that, fair or not, I think fans have been kind of down on him the last month and a half or so. And there have been a few games that he has struggled. He's given up quite a bit of yardage. He has failed to make interceptions. The Chargers game, which they won, he dropped three possible interceptions that game. So that's really been the one sticking point for a lot of fans is he's not making those impact plays that maybe Trey Brown could make if he was out there. But today finally gets an interception, and it was a really good one. He kind of baited Mike White a little bit, and the throw was behind the receiver. He jumps the route downfield picks it off, and then gets several yards after the interception. And I know it was an exciting development for the Seahawks secondary because this kid has played his heart out all season long, but he hasn't gotten that elusive interception, finally gets his hands on one and capitalizes on it. So good for Mike Jackson, a player who has really had a solid season his first year as a starter in the NFL. And there's room to grow, but he has not played poor enough this year for the Seahawks to decide, you know what, let's put Trey Brown in the lineup. That has not happened. Had a really good game today and played a key role in keeping the Jets out of the end zone. Key interception as well. And Quandre Diggs, he's another player that there has been some criticism levied toward him. Even though he was picked for the Pro Bowl for a third straight year, he's dropped interceptions. And a huge one that he dropped in the 49ers game in particular, he just hasn't played quite up to the standard that he set for himself the last couple of years when he had five interceptions in 2020 and 2021 to lead the Seahawks and was a Pro Bowl select. He pick on the drive into three points for the Seahawks, and that's his third interception of the season. He's making some history here. He is the only defensive player in each of the last six seasons that has at least three interceptions. So you want to talk about consistency and reliability coming back from a nasty leg injury that I think impacted his play in the first half of the season. He has looked more like the Quandre Diggs of old the last few games, even with that dropped interception opportunity against the 49ers. He is ball hawking. He's getting after plays. They've used him as a blitzer a few times. He actually got a quarterback hit a couple games ago. So they're having fun moving him around. He is playing like the safety that they gave the big contract here the last couple of weeks. They're going to be hoping he can come up with a couple big plays against the Rams next week and help them finish with a winning record and maybe make the postseason. So kudos to both those guys in secondary coming up with clutch interceptions. Certainly were helped by the pass rush from Quentin Jefferson and Daryl Taylor as well. And Extra extra credit here, a fourth player that could have been added to this list. And I'm just saying this because the Seahawks are probably going to be without Jordan Brooks for the rest of the season. Tanner Muse, each game that he has had to play, snaps for Jordan Brooks. He checked in a few weeks ago against the Panthers and played some snaps in that football game as well. Actually, I think it was the end of the 49ers game. They start to run together a little bit. But played for uh, Brooks when he had a neck injury, looked really good out there, had a pass breakup in today's game. So you're seeing him get more and more comfortable playing on defense for the Seahawks. And this is only his third year playing linebacker. He was a safety at Clemson. So didn't quite make our three up list, but admirable performance from Tanner Muse. And he's likely going to have to fill that gap next season, next week against the Rams with Jordan Brooks. We don't know how serious the injury is, but it certainly did not look good. It looked like a possible ACL tear. We'll find out once the imaging information comes out. But at this stage, it looks like Tanner Mew is going to be playing at least next week in their season finale. And if they make the playoffs, he's probably going to be the one out there next to Cody Barton playing at linebacker. And he's done a pretty nice job in his first couple games. He's gotten some snaps on defense. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week 
on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our usual Monday musings. I'll be rejoined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We'll dish out some more in-depth takeaways after a chance to re-watch the game. We'll be looking at the current playoff odds, where the Seahawks stand going into the final week of the season, and we'll be tackling some mailbag questions as well. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.